Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Hebron this morning. We thank you guys for, for joining us this morning for service. Um, if you would, please turn your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. So this morning we're continuing our series through 1 Peter, now arriving at uh, 1 Peter 4, so that will be our text this morning. Thus far, uh, we've seen Peter encouraging believers so Early in 1 Peter, we see that he refers to them as exiles. He's speaking to believers and exiles of the dispersion. Peter here is encouraging them throughout this letter to stand firm in their faith. We want to see this morning where Peter now turns his attention to how believers are to live. As we read this morning, as we study this morning, as we hear from God's word, we'll see not only what he's saying to them, but how we also shall live. Let us read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through your word this morning, we pray, Lord, that there are ears that have been prepared to hear your word, that my lips have been prepared to give your word, and that, God, your word would change our hearts, that we would learn, we would we'd be, we'd be different, Lord, as we leave this place, conformed more, to the image of your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Each day, I, I work in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is where my day job is, and I work there. And each day, I drive into the city, and I drive out. So I have this time of going back and forth. And in the morning, I leave pretty early. I, this may sound crazy, but I like to leave about between 4 and 5 a.m., and that way I miss the traffic as I'm going into the city. But as I come home, I, I have no choice but to hit the traffic. If, if those of you are familiar with Cincinnati traffic, I either hit it coming through downtown or, of course, going through the Cutting Hill or just construction. And as I'm driving home, 
in close-knit, close-quarter traffic, you, you know the kind of people, the drivers that you may encounter. You may encounter that guy, you know, close traffic, the guy who likes to stay right there on your tail. He's not leaving any space between you and he. No room for anyone to get in. And likely he can read whatever my speedometer is saying. There's also the gentleman who, or the lady who will weave in and out of traffic. They see one lane moving faster, so they're there. And then the other lane moves and they get back and forth. And as they're going, they see them in a, in a big rush. Or the person that just looks utterly frustrated. I mean, I'm in traffic and I just don't know what to do. Uh, they gripping the wheel, uh, staring intently ahead. They're prepared for anything that, that comes up, but they just very frustrated. And then there's me on most days. Uh, those who know me, I like to leave my windows down. I, I have the worship music playing, and I'm sitting back, just kind of relaxing. I like to leave a little bit of space so that if someone does need to get in, especially the semis with the traffic, if someone does need to give in, get in, I can be courteous and let them in. And I have to imagine what is the difference, or what is the difference between me and the others. Now I can't speak for those that are driving other ways than, than myself, but I can speak for myself. For me, it's my perspective. I'm driving the way that I'm driving, safely, slowly, calmly, because what is in sight for me is my destination. I get to get home to see my wife. I get to get home and see my daughters. That is what I am focused on as I'm going through the traffic. That is my perspective. But you see, our behavior is... is clearly guided, quite honestly, by our perspective. How we view things will lead us to do certain things. In the same way, Peter, as he opens this letter, gives to the exiled believers, those, those who are in the dispersion, those who are out of their home, they're in a foreign place, he wants to give them the proper perspective. He says early in the book that he wants them to live in light of this inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for them. Peter wants them to look forward to that as they live in their present circumstance. God has a, a glorious inheritance in store for them. And where they are now, what, what they are dealing with today, is not what he wants them focused on. He wants them focused looking forward. If they are looking forward, if they are looking and their perspective is forward-looking, how should their lives look? What should their lives look like? How should they live? That's what he has for us this morning as well. For those keeping notes, the first point here is believers are to live conforming to the will of God. That's how we are to live. Believers are to live conforming to the will of God. He says in verses 1 through 3, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time has passed, Time that has passed suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, 
drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. At the end of chapter 3, Peter started, um, or ended, I'm sorry, with a discussion on suffering, Christ's suffering. That believers should do good even if it leads to suffering. Here in chapter 4, he starts, he picks that back up. Now, suffering is a theme throughout the text. And here he picks up and starts with, but since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Peter here is pointing to this suffering that Christ endured as in his human existence, his human nature. And he's, a, he's appealing to believers to do the same, to follow the example that Jesus has set. As little Christians, we are, or as Christians, we are little Christ. We are to be Christ-like. We are being sanctified daily to be more like Christ. And so as he encourages them to, to be like Christ in suffering, what does he mean in this suffering? Can we suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered? Jesus was undeservedly crucified. Jesus was sinless. We are not. How are we to suffer like Christ? He follows that up with, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So now we must, if as Christ suffered in the flesh, to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking, how are we to do that? What was Christ thinking? How did Christ view his suffering? We get a great glimpse as we see the description in Luke of how Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane. We can see what Christ, how he viewed his suffering. In Luke twenty-two forty-one. Luke writes, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Christ viewed his suffering, the cup that he was going to take on, the cup of wrath that God was going to pour out on him, he viewed that as not my will, but your will. In the same way, we can arm ourselves with this same perspective. As we refuse to compromise our obedience, as we conform to God's will in the face of suffering, we suffer as Christ suffered. But our obedience in conforming to God's will is not left only to suffering. Our conforming to God's will displays that we have ceased from sin. Now, ceased from sin, does that mean that we are in a sinless state? No, that is not what Scripture tells us. We know that this is not the, the message of the text. Instead, this is a display. Our ceasing from sin displays what we know to be that we are dead to sin. We have been dead to sin and alive with God in Christ Jesus. We know that. As we suffer, as we are obedient, as we conform to God's will, we follow the example of our Savior. But we also know, and Peter goes on to explain to the believers, that 
there are other ways in which we live that we display our obedience, our conformance to God's will. How we live our daily lives, the things we pursue, the things we desire, the things we consume. We want to have God's will ruling in us as we do those things. Peter follows in verse 2, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. Let's take the live for the rest of the time in the flesh. As I mentioned earlier, Peter wants the believers to have a forward-looking perspective. For the rest of time implies there is an end of time. We know that to be true. And he's telling them, for the rest of time, looking forward, that they are not to live for human passions. We no longer do that. In the meantime, no more. In the meantime, we do not do that. And there are practical examples he follows to let them know what this looks like. And the practical examples Peter gives to them refer to looking back. He looks back to their past life, back to when they did not have faith in Christ. The believers that he's speaking to are both Jewish and Gentile. Some have lived these lives in the past, but the culture in which they live is, it's a pagan culture. And so the example that he gives them to not take part in, to not do, he tells them no sensuality, no passions. He's no lawless idolatry. Do these things no more. What you have done in the past, and the word he uses, suffices. It's enough. In fact, it's more than enough. Put those things behind you. Do those things no more and live this way as you conform to the will of God. We live no longer for human desires, and as we do so, we live conforming to the will of God. Second, believers are to live according to the Spirit of God. He goes on in verse 4, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The result of living, conforming to God's will, is that you will be slandered. They will malign you. They will be surprised that you don't take part. A bit of historical context for this. Uh, so at the time, the things that he listed were part and parcel not only of the culture, but many of the cultural activities were tied to religion, were tied to their pagan religion. So the things that he's asked them not to take part in are things that the culture is saying not only is okay, but may often be required as part of their religious ceremony. Not participating in that could be perceived in the slander maybe that they are being blasphemous to these pagan gods. 
And the people that are there may be old friends. The people who are slandering them may be loved ones. So this is no small thing to restrain from, or refrain from this, to have restraint. And yes, people would be surprised that you do not take part. Let's fast forward to today, in our culture today. If we do not affirm, or let's, if we affirm, as we should, biblical marriage between one man and one woman, we are sure to be maligned by a culture that tells us otherwise. Let us stand firm in our faith and let us see here how Peter encourages those believers and we may take away as we stand firm and as we live according to the Spirit. We know that when we are slandered, as, as Jesus says to Saul on the way to Damascus, he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That those who slander us are slandering Christ himself. And we also know, as he writes to this, the believers, that they will have to give account. Those who slander us will have to give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Judgment is coming. We know all of us will stand before the righteous judge. And he's letting the believers know, as we should know, that all will face that judge. We know what our end in that judgment will be. We know what our end, but those who slander us will face, because they will fa everyone will face the righteous judge. We need to keep that in mind as we face slander, as we face ridicule, for as we stand firm for our beliefs. But it doesn't stay, stay at we just accept the slander. He follows with, for this is why the gospel was preached. He wants to encourage the believers to preach the gospel. We all needed the gospel. We all need the gospel. It is the gospel that takes us from death to life. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word, and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from life, to, from death to life. All of us were dead in our sin and trespasses. And the two most glorious words, but God, but God made us alive with Christ by the power of his gospel and his spirit dwells in us. Although we will say, as he says here, we will be judged by human standards. We will be judged by how the world views because not, the world does not view as we should view. The world does not have a biblical worldview. We will be judged by human standards. Let us live by the spirit that helps us to live as by God's standards. We are God's children. Paul, or Paul writes in Romans, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We are children of God. We are sons and daughters. That is who we are. As believers, we've been adopted into his family, and we are spirit indwelt. 
Let us live according to the Spirit of God. So first, let us live conforming to the will of God, and let us live by the Spirit of or in the Spirit of God. And Peter has thus far spoken with believers about how they should look, how their lives should look before the onlooking world. Today he ends this text that we're going to we're studying in. He ends the text with telling us how believers, how we should live with one another, within the body of Christ. The perspective, again, he sets as he opens this section of the text. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each, excuse me. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. He opens giving us the perspective of the end is, in, is near. Again, he has, he has asked the believers or is instructing the believers to have a perspective that is forward-looking. This, the end is near, he says, not only is the end near, the end of all things is near. So therefore, if the end of all things is near, then we should be sober-minded and alert. Why is that? Well, we also know that we do not know the day or the hour when Jesus will return. He will return to judge the living and the dead. We do not know the day or the hour. That day will come as a thief in the night. He also tells us that we should be alert and sober-minded for our prayer life. That our prayers may be effective. That we may seek out the strength and guidance from God as we pray. Be alert and sober-minded. He follows with above all. So the end of all things and above all. And now is a critical point that he's emphasizing above all, love one another earnestly. Now this simple statement uh, highlights the importance of loving one another, obviously. But let's look at that sentence of keep loving one another earnestly. What does it tell us about our love? Well, first, keep loving one another earnestly. As we keep, we want our love to be continuous, to be maintained, to be always happening. We want our love to persist through challenge, through difficulty, through conflict within the body. We want our love to be earnest, to be fervent. This is not a lukewarm, it's not a, it's not a kind of love, it is a sincere and passionate love for one another. Our love should be deep and abiding as Jesus, his love for us, is deep and abiding. That is the love that we are to have for one another above all. It is primary. 
Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 12, he writes, he says, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. He doesn't stop there. A few verses later, very shortly after saying this, he repeats himself, This is my command, that you love one another. Love for one another is a primary characteristic. Jesus has loved us, and thus we shall love one another. As we love one another, sin covers, or since love covers a multitude of sins, we display in our love for one another forgiveness. That love covers a multitude of sins. In my loving you, through challenge, through difficulty, through the conflict that we may have, my love is covering your sin. That is the forgiveness that we show one another. So let us love, display the same love Jesus has shown us in and forgiving us. But not only must we love, now as we love, there's a lot of ways we love. There have been many different sermons on love and, and how, what love is being discussed. In this brotherly love that we have, we want to know how is it that we are to express this love. If we are to show this love, because this love is primary, how are we to show our love for one another? Our earnest love for one another will find its expression in how we use our gifts for the benefit of others. Imagine that. God has, he desires us to love one another, and God has also gifted each one of us. God desires, God delivers the way to do what he desires us to do. Peter gives the examples here of hospitality. We are to be hospitable to one another. We show the same generosity and hospitality that Christ has shown to us. We have been invited into, we've been added to God's family, not of our own doing, but by his gracious generosity. In the same way, we are to welcome others and welcome one another and be hospitable to one another. Our speech. How do we speak to one another? How are we Dispensing God's grace that he's shown to us through the way that we talk with one another. Throughout scripture, wholesome speech, edifying speech, speech that is for building up of the body should be hallmarks of our speech with one another. Our service. How do we serve? He says here that we should serve by the strength that God supplies. God has given us the strength to serve through our service we administer God's grace to one another as well. By our faithful service with one another, we glorify God, and we could not glorify God without Christ. Christ Jesus is who makes it possible for Christians to glorify God at all. So as we endeavor to love one another, as Peter is encouraging the believers here, as we take away here, how do we love one another? Let hospitality, wholesome, loving speech, earnest love for one another be hallmarks of our lives together as believers. May we glorify God.
by living with fervent love for one another. You know, in closing, as I think through this, and I thought, Lord, how is my perspective leading my life? I said when I drive that it's on some days, because of course there are those days when I may be the one going from lane to lane, I must admit. How am I, uh, am I consumed with the passions of this world, or is my thought life, is my focus, is my daily prayer that God's will be done in my life? Do I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Am I seeing the fruits of the Spirit in my life? Am I living by the power of God's Spirit? Am I showing love to my brothers and sisters? Am I living a life that is characterized by an earnest love for our fellow believers? Am I using my gifts? Am I using my gifts to serve the body? Would God be glorified in how I use my gifts? Jesus died on the cross. We know that he was crucified on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He was raised from the dead displaying God's Supreme power over all things, even death. And he ascended to heaven. And at that time, Jesus ended his sojourn, his exile, his living in a foreign place here. He left that and went to be seated at the right hand of the Father, making a way for us. When we put our faith in Christ as as believers, we have received the inheritance of that place that Christ has set for us in heaven with him. We are destined to live eternally in the presence of God, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Today, our world is filled with a lot of tensions, a lot of, uh, you know, there are racial tensions, there are political tensions, there are obviously financial tensions, and, and there's some of this pandemic as well. As Peter encouraged the believers of his day, let us be encouraged as we live as exiles and sojourners in this world that we have the proper perspective, the perspective that looks forward to what God has done for us and what we can look forward to as we submit to his will, live by his spirit, and love one another fervently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we pray that your word would find a a welcome place in our heart. That, Lord, we would keep your will for us in focus as we walk through our days, as we live our lives. Lord, we pray that your spirit would lead us as believers, that, God, we also would preach the good news to those who are dead, who need to hear, who need to be brought from death to life. And may we love one another. May we love one another earnestly, God. May we display our love greatly each and every one of us and lord we need your power to do this we need your your spirit to move in us for this all to happen and so we pray for your spirits stirring in us this morning we pray this in jesus name amen